0: Genesis 15, starting in verse one. We are now in the third week of our series called Father Abraham, just a a time where we are moving through the life of Abraham. Not, Not looking at every scenario, not looking at every passage of scripture that Abraham is involved in, but we are looking at these highlight moments in the life of Abraham and seeing what this has to do with us today. And so week one, we looked at what it looks like to live by faith. Week two, we looked at what it looks like for fear to overcome faith and all that that costs. And all of that costs. And we will move into Genesis chapter 15 today, looking at Abraham's life. But before we get there, just think about how fast things change. Think about how fast things update. Um, Like, imagine this. When I was a kid, I remember, I remember in junior high, the cool phone to have was this Nokia brick phone. It was literally a rectangle. It was a rectangle and it had a black, like it had a like a white-ish screen with some black letters, no color, that's, that, that's, it didn't do anything fancy. And I remember like the cool thing for it to do was to set it on vibrate and then have somebody call you and stand it up and watch it like dance around the table. That was like, dude, look at your phone, it's so cool, right? This is what was... So cool. And then rapidly, right? Rapidly, I got into high school and the Motorola razor came out, right? So the Motorola Razor was the phone of phones. If you're a really confident guy, you got a pink razor, It was just whatever. But the Motorola Razor came out and you're like, I don't even know what that is. It's fine. We'll get there. But it was like the coolest phone to have. But like, you had to text like A, B, C, A, L, L, <laughs> Like it, there wasn't like a keyboard. It was like, if you're really good with that kind. And then like drove and typed because you knew where all of the letters were. That's how you knew you were really good with that kind of phone. And then smartphones came out and I, the first iPhone came out and I was just like, what is happening? There's a computer in my pocket right? And just blew everybody's mind. But then like, so Apple's smart, right? I think uh, maybe uh, they probably knew like the development of the iPhone 10, like way back when, right? They just know we're going to roll these things out and people are going to just keep paying us thousands of dollars to buy these things. They're not going to be any different. They're just going to look cooler and everybody's going to keep buying them. And it's true. People keep buying them, (laughs) right? But, But think about how rapidly they update. They come out with an iPhone. 12 months to 18 months later, something else is coming out and you're like, well, my iPhone is now obsolete, right? Like, Think about this, right? So they, they, they we, I, just, I just had to interact with this today. The the, the the last few generations of iPhone, they eliminated the auxiliary jack for the dongle. What is that? What is that? It's just ruining everyone's life. They want to listen to music on their phone. That's what's happening. But think about how fast things update. As soon as it comes in, it goes out and it's obsolete. And so often we think, man, the old is at best is at best it's an it, the new is the update of the old certainly and then we think well i think the new is the new is actually better than the old because the new is different than the old it's updated from the old and that certainly works with technology and all that kind of stuff. But, but when we take that mentality into understanding who God is, we get really confused because often we can think there is a God of the Old Testament and he's angry and he's wrathful and he does these kinds of things. And then like I, and then like iOS 2.0 comes out and the God of the New Testament shows up and he gets an update. And we think we actually get two different gods or an updated God in the New Testament. But what we're going to find out tonight from Genesis chapter 15 is God has been the same from the beginning until now and God will remain the same. Malachi 3.6 says it like this, I, the Lord God, do not change. So we ought to be people who understand. If God doesn't change, what does that mean? Specifically in regards to Genesis chapter 15, what we're gonna find is the way that God has saved humanity has not changed from day one. (laughs) That our right standing before God has been based on God's grace and our expressed faith in God from the beginning. And we'll find that today in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. So follow along with me. We'll read through Genesis 15 together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be your very own son. The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, "'I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans "'to give you this land to possess.' "'But he said, "'O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it?' "'He said to him, "'Bring me a heifer three years old, "'a female goat three years old, "'a ram three years old, "'a turtle dove and a young pigeon. "'And he brought him all these, "'cut them in half and laid each over, "'each half over against the other. "'But he did not cut the birds in half. "'And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, "'Abraham drove them away.' As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt, the great river, the river Euphrates to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So we are going to look at this understanding that God gives us righteousness or right standing before him based on nothing but his grace and our faith in that reality. But I think it might be helpful to understand how Abram got here and how we get there. How do we even get in that scenario? What is our problem? And what is Abram's problem before God? Well, maybe we should say like this. As Here's our condition, Romans chapter three, Verse 10 through 20 says it like this. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And we read stuff like Romans chapter 3, 10 through 20, and we think, man, that person or whoever that's talking about is really bad. They don't stand a chance before God. And the problem is, is that's us. No one is righteous, not even one. That we have no ability to stand before God and merit any kind of favor. We have no ability to come before God and say, look at how good that I am, or look at how good I kind of am. That we, we have no chance. Ephesians chapter two says it like this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So it's not that this, this issue of sin is not just, we are kind of bad people, but that we are holy warped and wicked and have no ability to fix ourselves. We have no ability to wash ourselves. We have no ability to right our wrongs. We have no ability for the good to outweigh the bad because we won't choose enough good for it to outweigh the bad. So the condition's bad. I mean, if we just rolled through it, there's nobody in here who thinks about themselves and thinks, you know what? I'm a really good person because when you get alone with yourself, you know you know the thoughts that roll through your head, the things that come out of your mouth, the actions that your hands and feet go to that aren't honoring to God. And I'm not trying to heap shame on you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to make you feel the, the, the heaviness of the situation that this sin has affected every part of us. And before God, we don't stand a chance, the condition is bad. And maybe the consequence might be even worse. Romans five, verse 12 says, "Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned." Romans 6:23, the first half, says it like this: "For the wages of sin is death." So our due payment for our sinful condition before a holy God is not time out. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not get it right next time. It's death. So we're stuck apart from God's help. You see, we need something outside of us to come and help us. Because our condition is too great and the consequence is too great. And we have no ability to fix it. So the question then comes up, that's bad, Cade. What hope do we have? Because here's here's what's so good about this. God doesn't just express that to us and say, you're wicked. Figure it out. In our wickedness, God steps in and gives us hope. Here's what he says in Romans chapter three, verse 21. But now, The righteousness of God. Did you catch it? The righteousness of God. Not of you, of God. The righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been like made known to us apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. But here we go. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his blood. So what's the hope? Here's what what God offers to us, a way to be justified. God offers us justification through the blood of Jesus. Justification, say justification. Okay, big word, it's a thousand dollar word. You gotta get it in your mind. It will matter for you for the rest of your life. But more than I want you to know the word, I want you to know what it means. So here's the working definition that we're gonna go off of today. This is what we're saying justification is. The justification is this, that God in his judgment, his righteous judgment, when he justifies somebody, he declares the person brought before him as not guilty of the right accusation. They deserve the accusation of the right accusation that has been made. And instead, God declares that person who is in the wrong to be in a right, proper understanding before the law and himself. God in his judgment declares the person brought before him who is supposed to be guilty, but he declares them as not guilty of the accusation that has been made and instead... So grab on in a right proper standing before the law and himself. So grab onto that. Take a picture of it with your phone. Put it in your brain. I don't care what you got to do. But this is what God does in justification. It is not that God just says, "Hey, what you did is is really bad. You're not guilty just because I feel like it." But that's not what happens in justification. In justification, says, "You got it wrong, and I am declaring you innocent." Because somebody stepped in your place and took your guilt. It is not you're not guilty just because I feel like it. It's that somebody took your guilt and now you get to go free. You see, if we really got a hold of what justification actually means when it says we are justified by the blood of Jesus, Jesus, the one who took on our guilt, if we got in our minds that this is what actually happens in salvation. We could not help but worship. We could not help but praise God. We could not help but speak to people about it because because it becomes far more than believe God so you don't have to go to hell. It It is believe in this God who has come and in your hopeless condition stepped into your place where you rightly deserved to be guilty and to die. Jesus died. And you were justified. You were declared right when you were not right. But the question is, how can a God who is supposed to be just make a just judgment on a rightly guilty person, but declare them innocent? How can God do that? And stay just. How can God do that and stay consistent? Because we said in the beginning, Malachi 3, I the Lord God do not change. So how is God just and how is God good in declaring a rightly guilty person innocent? We learn from Genesis chapter 15. How does justification happen? How do we become righteous? How do we become righteous? Here's the first thing on how justification happens. First thing that we're gonna learn from Genesis chapter 15. Justification comes through faith alone. Justification, being right before God, being right before God comes through faith alone. Look Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse six. Everything that rolls out, God promises Abram, hey, this is gonna be really good. I'm gonna bless you. It's gonna be great. And Abram's like, God, honestly, I just don't know if you're gonna be able to pull it off because like, I've got, I've got this guy, Eliezer Damascus. He's a servant and like, he's gonna, he's gonna be the heir to my, come out of you like you and Sarah, that's really what it's gonna amount to. And God's like, no, bro, I'm gonna give you your very own son. It's gonna come out of you like you and Sarah. You're gonna get together. You're gonna have a kid. That's gonna happen. He says, how am I supposed to know God? He says, go outside. Look up at the stars. Now I understand that when we look up at the stars here, you're like, look, there's four of them. But I don't know if any of you have like gone camping somewhere that's in the middle of nowhere. Like not here. But this guy's in the desert. In the middle of the night. There are no street lights, there's no McDonald's arches, there's nothing. So for God to say on a clear night, look up, number the stars if you can, it would be overwhelming. It wouldn't be like one, two, three, four, five, six. I got it, God. <laughs> it, would be, it would be, God, that's a ridiculous request. There's millions. And that's the point. He says, number the stars if you're able to number them. And this is what God says. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be that there's gonna be a lineage of people that come through you. And God promises that. And this is what Genesis 15, six says. Look at it, look at it with me. Genesis 15, six. And he, that's Abraham. He believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. That Abram, Jesus hasn't even walked the earth yet. Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him, credited to him, given to him as righteousness. That Abram's right standing before God, his justification before God, came through what? Belief, faith. Because our righteousness from the beginning until now and until Jesus returns will only come through faith. Belief. Well, belief in what? faith in who God is and faith in what God has done and what God will do. You see, it says that Abraham believed the Lord. He believed in who God was, that he is trustworthy, that he is good, that he is powerful, that there's none like him. Abraham believed the Lord. There's one God and he is Yahweh. Abraham believed the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So he believed in who God was and he believed in what God was doing and was going to do. That God was blessing Abraham in that moment, bringing him into a land, into the land of Canaan, which God showed him and said, this is all gonna be yours, bro. So just him, but to God, he believes in that, that promise then and he believes in God's future promise to not only provide a son to him, but to make a nation out of him. Through which the people of Israel show up and Jesus shows up. Abraham believed that promise and God counted it, credited it, gave to Abraham righteousness. And that rightness came by faith alone, through faith alone. Abraham brought, Abraham brought nothing to the table. He didn't come and say, look, God, I'm pretty awesome. And uh, so I'm pretty sure you should justify me before you like me and you were good, right? Because the same sinful condition that I described at the beginning applies to Abram. So how was he going to be right before this holy God? It took faith. That God was going to work where Abram couldn't. He had faith in what God would do. This is what it says in Galatians 3:8. Paul's giving a commentary on Genesis 15. He says this. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the gentiles by faith because they were going to come through, they were going to come to the nations, justify the gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to who? Abraham. Saying, It shall be all in you shall all the nations be blessed. It's like because people have an issue, like, well, what did Abram or Abraham believe? Like Jesus wasn't here, he wasn't crucified, he hadn't risen from the dead. But it says that, that God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. How can God do that? Because God's aware of what's gonna happen thousands of years later because God's already in a thousand years or thousands, years, thousands of years later. So it's not outside of God's capability to do that. And Abraham gets right before God because of his faith. And here's the deal. What was true in Genesis 15 is still true today, that we are made right before God. We are made right before God based on faith and faith alone. We are made right before God based on our belief in who God is and what God has done and what God will do. That God has acted and moved toward us and given us hope through belief in Christ, What do we put faith in? We put faith in that Jesus has lived perfectly where we were supposed to, died where we were supposed to die and risen from the dead. And without that, we have no hope. We believe in the gospel. Romans 4, one through five says it like this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, but believes in him who as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his faith, his belief is counted as righteousness. So today you're not made right before God because of your good work. You're not made right before God because you tried hard. You're not made right before God because of anything else other than your belief in what God has done in your place. That's it. The second thing we learn about justification from Genesis 15, justification is based on nothing we offer, only God's gracious work in our place. Justification is based on nothing we offer to God, but just God's gracious work in our place. Abraham believes God. He's like, I'm going to give you, man, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. And, and, and so Abr- Abram goes, and he's like, okay, God, how do I know that you're going to do it? And so God says, hey, go get some animals. Go get these, these animals. Now cut them in half, like long way, like down the spine, cut them in half, lay them open. He's creating this thing called a blood path. You can imagine that it's a pretty bloody scene at this point. And generally what would happen in this moment is the two people that are making this agreement, this covenant would walk through the blood path and, saying, and what it's saying is, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, let, let what is done to these animals be done to me. And the other party would say, if I don't hold up to my end of the deal, let, us what, let what is done to these animals be done to me. But look what happens in verse 17. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the two, these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Where's Abram? He's asleep. So the two parties that are making this covenant don't go through together. God shows up in a smoking fire pot and a pillar of fire. And he goes through on behalf of both parties. God goes through and he says, if I don't come through on my end of the deal, Abram, let what is done to these animals be done to me. And Abram, if you don't come through on your end of the deal, let what is done to these animals be done to me. You see, Abraham has nothing to offer here. God has just acted by grace. He says, I'm going to act in your place. He is assuring Abram, I'm going to come through. I will give you what I promised you. You can't come because here's the deal. If Abram would have stood up and walked through the blood path, he would have failed. He would not have come through on his end of the deal and God knew it. So God acted in his place and we have a very similar reality today that God knew in our sinful state that we could not hold up to our end of the deal and so God in his grace acted in our place. It's as if the agreement was hey people, if if I don't hold up my end of the deal to bring salvation, let what is done to these animals be done to me. And if you don't hold up your end of the deal to walk before me blameless, let what is done to these animals be done to me. And Jesus shows up and is slain because we couldn't hold up our end of the deal and God acted in our place. You see, this is, This is way better than believe Jesus so you don't have to go to hell. This is about a God who loved us enough to step in our place because he knew we couldn't hold up our end of the deal. It is not, it is not. Hey, come and believe Jesus so you don't have to burn in hell forever. It is, that is certainly a part of it, but it's more than that. It is come and believe Jesus and you get his righteousness. You don't just get, you don't get better. You don't get good. You get right standing. You were guilty and now God declares you innocent because he sees Jesus in your place. That is so different. That's so different. It's based on nothing we have to offer. It's based on God's gracious work in our place. So then what does that mean for now? Here's what it means for now. The first thing, you are made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You are made right. You stand before God right. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not your efforts. If you think you have something to bring to the table, you will be sadly mistaken alone. There's no other way. You are made right before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way than through Jesus. That same passage in Ephesians chapter two, later on in verse eight through nine, it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We bring nothing to the table to give to get our salvation. We do not gain our salvation based on our goodness or our effort. It is given to us by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's not necessarily our problem as people who attend church pretty often. Obviously we don't earn our salvation, right? We, a lot of us know that. This is probably where we have issue. Not only are we made right before God by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, but here's the deal. You stay right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And not only do you initially become right with God, not only does God welcome you into His family because of Christ in your place, and that's it, but you stay in God's family. You stay in God's good graces. You stay as a pleasure of God. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So often we get it messed up. We think you believe Jesus, you get into heaven and then you get to work so you don't disappoint God. And I see this in you because it was in me. I sinned, so let me promise a bunch of things to God about how I'll read the Bible a hundred times and I'll pray this many times and I'll go to church this many times just so he's better with me, so he'll actually be happy with me now. And it's just this ladder we climb and we get knocked down when we sin and we try to climb back up the ladder and we get knocked down when we sin. And you know what that is? It's exhausting and it's not Christianity. Because Christianity says, you're made right with God and stay right with God. By grace, through faith, in Christ, alone. Alone. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and 2 said this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, check this out, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in Vain, the gospel is enough to save you initially and the gospel is enough to keep saving you day in and day out. You don't believe Jesus and go somewhere else. You don't believe Jesus and then get to work. You believe Jesus and keep believing Jesus. He's the one who acted in your place. It is through Jesus alone. Some of you are on this hamster wheel of Christianity and it's not Christianity It's just exhausting. And if you feel like you have to work for God to keep God happy with you, I would invite you to believe the gospel that shows us your best efforts are worthless here. You couldn't get it right and God knew it. So he acted in your place and that's enough to get in, and that's enough to stay in. Does it matter if we obey? Sure, because when we obey, it's an expression of love. If God acted like that towards us, why would we not want to express love to him? And when we obey, it's an expression of love. But obedience is not a means to get God's pleasure because we already have it in Christ. If we could get our heads around this, that God justifies us, God gives us righteousness, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin. We got his righteousness, not because you gave him anything other than your sin. You're made right based on nothing you did. And God has been working that from Genesis 15 to now and will continue to do so until he returns.